Hello and welcome to another edition of the We Are Rail Fans podcast. The series for rail fans by rail fans exploring all areas of the rail hobby from around the world. I'm Sam and if you're new to this podcast, welcome aboard. If you missed our previous episodes, including last week's interview with Absolute Radio presenter and train enthusiast Richie Firth, they're all available for free wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us a message via our website, wearerailfans.com, or find us on Facebook at We Are Railfans. On this podcast, we like to explore all areas of the rail community, from train drivers to fans, sims to stations. But if you're into model railways, chances are you'll know all about today's guests, because Hornby have been the leading manufacturer of train sets for over 100 years. They're also the subject of a new TV series called Hornby, A Model World, which airs on British TV channel yesterday, or you can watch it on catch-up on UK TV Play. And joining me today to tell us all about the documentary and what's next for the company, I'm joined by the man unofficially known as Mr. Hornby, a director at the famous model company Simon Curler. Hello, Simon. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? It's a lovely day and it's splendid to have you here. And then alongside Simon, we've got Hornby's head of brand, their marketing guru, Montana Horan. Montana, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming along. So... Are you both lifelong railway enthusiasts? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the hobby or maybe how that helped you get into working at Hornby? Right. Well, being um, being the eldest, I'll probably go first on this one. The fascination, I suppose, started with trains for me when I was probably about six. And I can clearly remember being uh, on Peterborough Station and these big, snarly, smelly, smoky monsters coming into the station and I was scared and I hid behind my my mother's skirts as they say but I was scared but also fascinated you know it's a bit like a you know when when you're in a horror film you don't really want to see it but you actually do want to see it but fascinated by that fast forward my brother was really the the train spotter he was two years older than me and he wanted a train set for Christmas and um, my mother bought him a Hornby 00 set. Not the most expensive, it was the cheapest, because uh, we, 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 she was a widow, and we didn't obviously have too much cash to flash. But, I mean, she knew about Hornby, she knew about the quality of Hornby, and, you know, he was having fun, and like all siblings, I wanted some of that fun. So the following Christmas, I asked for a train set, and um, I didn't get a train set, but I did get a locomotive and some carriages that I could then put on my brother's train set which wasn't always plain sailing uh, because he had he had some control over me we got around that with the usual bribes money that sort of thing so I was able to play with him especially when he wasn't there and then um, years later when I was probably about 14 we the family my mother moved us to Northampton and I got to know this chap called Nick Nick Evans, and his father just happened to own a model shop. And so we had a lot of fun in in that shop, and he and I had similar sense of humour. And sadly, sadly, uh, in when I was 21, um, his father passed away. Nick was uh, working in the shop then, and he asked me to join him. So that was the model shop in Northampton. I really learnt, if you like, 
the business, the ethics, the excitement that people derive from from modelling railways, what they were asking for, understanding, if you like, the customer. And I was there for seven years, and it was great. It was good fun. I love meeting people. But by then I was married, and you think, am I, am I going to do this for the next 30, 40 years? And it just so happened uh, I picked up an ad- advert for a rep, salesman that was wanted by a company called Hammond Morgan which is a sister company of Hornby I applied and somehow some pure fluke I got the job as a rep and I traveled I had a third of the country all to myself so everything north of the Thames up to Staffordshire which for those folks who are outside the UK is a big chunk of real estate because you've got the big cities in there you've got Birmingham I've got London I've got and lots in between Leicester huge areas a lot of interest in railways while I was doing that I was doing shows to promote these transformers I was selling and I got noticed that the reports I was writing they thought I could be useful in other areas and eventually I was offered a, a, a brand managership for looking after Hornby and Margate. That's really where I ended up. Um, sort of ended up in Margate around about in the very early 80s, 81, 82. And this is really where I've stayed. And um, loved every minute, to be honest. You know, especially when working with people like Montana. Well, speaking of Montana, Montana, are you also a train enthusiast? Or uh, did you just happen to, uh, to to wind up at Hornby through luck and happenstance? Yeah, my story's slightly different to Simon's. Um, it's certainly not, shorter. <laughs> probably a little bit shorter. Um, I'm, I'm not a model railway enthusiast, but I am extremely passionate about the hobby and the people who are passionate about model railways. Um, I kind of fell into the job. Um, so my background is that I studied creative writing at university on the basis that I kind of wanted to go into journalism but I wasn't quite sure so I kept it broad with the creative writing degree. I then studied elements of marketing which I found I really enjoyed Um, so after I'd finished my BA I looked for jobs in the marketing sector um, and as it so happened a job came up at Hornby and this was at a time when they were based in Sandwich opposed to Margate so it was a little bit closer to home for me compared to um, sort of my previous job that I had after finishing university. So um, I applied and um, got the job as a marketing executive um, and that's kind of where my, my Hornby journey started and I honestly had no idea how it would turn out but I've been with the business for six years now and it's been an absolute whirlwind of a journey. I've loved every single minute. It feels like it's been about 30 years. So much has happened in that time. Lots of changes in the business, um, lots of role changes for me. I've been lucky enough to work on not only um, Hornby Railways, but also on our other brands. So Skeletric, Airfix, Humbrol, Corgi, um, there's just something really magical about the brands, and although, like I said, I'm not a I'm not a model railway enthusiast, I really do appreciate the hobbies um, and what they stand for and what they mean to our loyal customers. 
That's great. So, Simon, what was the first Hornby uh, product? You mentioned your first locomotive set that you got. Can you remember what that is? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was uh, a Hornby 00 Black E2 number 31223. It's actually a, a loco that uh, was pretty exclusive to the Folkestone docks, uh, which I found out relatively recently. But Hornby 00 produced them in green, Malachite green, in BR livery, and in BR black as well. My brother had the green one because that came in the set. I had the black one. So at the time, that was the cheapest Hornby 00 loco that was produced. Um, so I remember that. I also got, at the same Christmas a TPO, Travelling Post Office, an automatic one, Hormi 00. But, it, you know, that was when I was 10. I had to wait another four years uh, before I could get it to work because it, it needed a separate power outlet on the transformer. And that's what we didn't have. So it was only when I was able to, from my friend Nick, get an old safety miner, Hammond Morgan the safety miner, which did have a separate output, that I was able to get the thing to work, actually, which is great. You know, uh, and it, it was good fun. You know, I can remember the excitement when it worked, you know, and I waited four or five years for it to actually happen. It was great. Amazing. I, I should probably point out at this point, actually, for our listeners, uh, that we are being joined by a third special guest. Uh, <laughs> Simon's dog, you may possibly be able to hear him a little in the background. Uh, would you like to give a, a brief introduction? Just, you know, it feels like we ought to uh, familiarise ourselves with, with the entire cast. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, she suddenly got bored with my voice and jumped off and has gone downstairs. So it's no surprise, really. Not, not really. <laughs> uh, but what I will have to do uh, next time you uh, Montana starts talking, I'm going to sneak away <laughs> and just see where she, what she's doing, because she's probably bouncing all over the beds <laughs> and making a right mess. But that, I mean, that's that's what dogs do. I mean, that's that's what they're for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, I know. To, to drag us briefly back onto topic, uh, Simon. So you've you've been at the company now for twenty twenty one years. Was that a dream come true as 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 someone who'd kind of grown up with model railways and and you spent so much time in the model shop? Well, the thing is, it's actually quite a bit longer than twenty one years. It's it really is the best part of forty. Now, I did have oh, wow. a brief what I call an enforced sabbatical when circumstances dictated that I leave the, the company. Uh, but I left it for about, I don't know what, how many, about two and a half years or whatever, and then returned. I have said this so many times. You know, I love, I love the brand. I love the brands of the company because obviously we also have Scale Electric, Airfix, Corgi and Humbrol, of course. And I, I think it's what we produce... You know, we produce product that brings so much pleasure to people. And I think that has to rub off on you. You know, I've, I've never had an occasion when I thought, you know what, I don't want to go to work. You know, even, even during those months that I wasn't directly involved with Hornby, I was constantly thinking of Hornby. Hornby went through a bit of a bad patch when I, when I wasn't there and I, and it was really, really upsetting. So I was, I was over the moon when I was asked, would I return? And it took me about a nanosecond, if probably less, to say yes. You know, hold me back. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a fabulous company. Every day is slightly different. 
There are similarities, but nothing's exactly the same. The buzz you get from thinking, do you know what? Love to do that loco or that particular model. Yeah, that'd be great. And then going from that, putting it down on paper, to getting the information, to getting the tools sorted, getting the, the, the finances sorted, because you, ha you can't just say, oh, let's do that locomotive and, and spend £200,000 just like that. You know, you have to justify £200,000. And that in itself is, again, a challenge at times, but a, a lot of fun to make it work. And um, then actually when you start seeing the tooling being cut, you see the first shots off the tool, as we call them, coming through. You see the loco fully decorated, the first working sample, seeing how that goes, and then actually getting the finished product into the warehouse, out of the warehouse, onto the shelves, and waiting for people's reaction to it. And you just hope, you know, that it's the same reaction as I had, or we had when we first thought of doing it. So, you know, it's a fabulous job. It really is. You know, it's a, it's a gift gift from God, to be perfectly honest. It's lovely. Oh, and, and we get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so much the better. So, so yeah. how do you how do you go about deciding what to make next? Then, I mean, you've you've obviously made uh, a massive range of locos and rolling stock and uh, multiple units and and everything in between mm. uh, over the years. How do you decide uh, what to make next, or whether to go back and revisit something that you've released before? Ah, yeah, no, no, that's a very very good question. There there are various avenues that one goes down when we when we do exhibitions. Uh, obviously, COVID has sort of curtailed that a little bit. But when we do exhibitions, the big thing and what I really do enjoy doing is talking to people. And it's in many respects, it's talking to them and to find out really what we're doing wrong. It's always nice to get compliments. But what are we doing wrong? What can we do better? At the same time, you get people say, why don't you make such and such a loco? And you think, make a little note of that. And that can bubble up. And if you start to get, you know, quite a bit of interest on things like that, you think, yeah. Maybe we should we should really look at that. I get lots of emails. There are various polls that are done. And you create a balance. You have a balance. You've got to be careful. You don't always go for the number one product because it could be the same person writing 200 letters. You know, so you have to you have to have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of um, uh, experience does count on that. You don't always get it right. And I have to be honest, I don't. But you you have that feel and that yeah there's a lot of interest there so yeah let's let's go for that or it could be there's a lot of interest there but you know what in three years time it'll be celebrating some kind of milestone or whatever so why don't we ring fence it for three years time also you'll have items that will suddenly hit hit the news like um, you know. Uh, there's a new there's a new train coming through, like the Hitachi 395 or the 800. The 395 was a classic. I I got to know Hitachi through a, a friend in the business, and they were planning the 395 to work on what they called HS1 down in the southeast of England. And I was talking to them 
at least four years before they're actually going to run them. So I put a stake in the ground. Roughly at the same time, they were talking about the 800s. These are the things that are going to actually will end up running on HS2, but we're running on the East Coast. They were going to replace the Class 91s and the HS2. And I said, yeah, we want that. And I remember showing this to my then board and saying, you know, this is in five years' time. Uh, and they they looked at me really, well, you know, is it, you know, does it matter? Well, yeah, five years, you know, you've got to plan that far ahead. You've got to do it. The, the other thing is, it can be just something that pops into your head, you know, or a loco that you've always wanted to do, like the Hush Hush, like the, the W1, the L-N-E-R-W-1, Gracely's uh, W1. And you think, I've always wanted to do that. And... All of a sudden, there's, you, you, you think now the time is right. Classic loco, great shape. The sort of loco that appeals to everyone, you know? They, you know, you'll have people who will buy the, the, the Hush Hush, the W1, not because it's, they, they model that era or that, even that area. It could be they model American or whatever, but, because of the loco, what it is, I've just got to have one because it's such a nice loco. It's like the American big boy. Yeah. You know, outside the US, the UK sells more big boys than anywhere else. Okay. Now, why? It's an American loco. It's HO. However, it lives up to his name. It's a big boy. And you've got to have one because it's massive. It's amazing. And seeing that run on your track, it's just mind-blowing. So, it, it, you know, you can have those sorts of locomotives that it's just the right time to introduce them. So, I've, you know, hopefully, I've, you know, I've, I've tried to tick a few boxes there and really how we go at it. I mean, I used to say years ago, oh, we just stick a pin in a book because it was a lot quicker to say than what I've just gone through. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, you know... It's quite, it's quite, it is quite involved. No, I don't, I don't doubt it. I mean, how many product lines do you tend to keep in kind of active manufacturer at a time? Because with the, the, the quantity that you've done over the years, surely there must come a, a point, and I, I don't doubt that's, there's, there's something business sensitive there. So you can allude rather than be specific. No, no, no. But how, how do you, how many do you keep in, in stock at a time? Right. Well, what, what you got, you've got to remember the Hornby creates a system. And um, really, this is something that I'll drag Montana into because she 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 looks out after what we call the line plan. But you'll always have what we call A and B lines. The A, A lines are things like track. Now, we've got over 30 different pieces of track. So you're supposed to keep all that in stock. We have Scenics, which is roughly 100 pieces that you keep in stock all the time. We have a range of railroad items, uh, which are uh, locomotives, wagons, etc., that aren't quite so highly detailed, but great for people who just bought a train set. And you try and keep those in stock. So that's probably another 50 or 60 items. And then you have those items which take, for example, coaches. Um, you try and marry up the coaches with with the loco. Let's take HST. So if you produce a great Western HST, you've got to produce 
the coaches that go with it. And nowadays, what you will have in mind is we'll do one run of the GWHST and the coaches. And you don't just do two coaches because people want to run a full rate. So it's about seven, eight, nine coaches. So you have to have those in the range as well. So that's something that's changed over the years, being able to produce enough coaches to actually make up a full, accurate train. So those come and those go. So to sort of answer your question, I would probably say Montana will probably hit me, but I would say those items that are perennially in there, it's probably about a third of of it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but Montana's the, the, the one who has to keep things in check, keep me in check, uh, making sure, you know, I don't, I don't run away with things because you put plans to, <laughs> together and before you know, it's a bit like Topsy. It just grows and grows and grows. Yeah, of course. So, you know, Montana's there saying, you know, I think we've got too many of this or, you know, which is great because it's easier to take those out and put them in the following year. Right. You know? I'm going to test your uh, your brand knowledge there, Montana. <laughs> when did Hornby start and uh, and what was the first model that was made? I mean, you've done a few interviews lately, so this this should be this should be drummed in already, I would have thought. Of course. So last year we celebrated our centenary, so we are in our 101st year. First model that we produced was Tim a Timplate locomotive. So for for those um, model railway enthusiasts that are listening to this, um, or for anyone who who isn't um, and would like to know, last year as part of our centenary year, we produced a range of products that celebrated Hornby throughout the various decades. Um, and one thing we introduced to celebrate the beginning of the Hornby journey was brand new template locomotives new tooling but based on that original template locomotive that we introduced a hundred years ago fantastic it's a it's a a huge history um and we kind of wanted to bring that into hornby's 100th year um which we did alongside various other products that celebrated hornby up until the present day so uh, you referenced last year for for your centenary and uh uh, and, and Simon previously mentioned that, of course, you know, COVID was uh, was 2020's big story. But we've we've spoken to many areas of the of the hobby surrounding trains, and it seems like it was a boom year to be a, a hobbyist of of any kind, where your hobby can be done at home. Is that is that something that you noticed in in model railways? Yeah, definitely. So. You know, when COVID struck, we were a couple of months into our centenary year. We had some big plans. We intended to kind of, you know, shout to the rooftops that Hornby was celebrating 100 years through various different events that we intended to go to throughout 2020. So the initial shock kind of hit us that Hornby's big year was not going to be as we wanted it to be. However, that changed quite drastically. People got locked down. They weren't able to go to work. They had more time to invest in their hobbies, you know, had more time to spend building their layout, which, you know, a lot of people 
do over not only weeks but sometimes months and years they're they're big projects that people invest a lot of time into so um that was something that that people were doing and we very quickly realized that not only was Hornby sort of in the limelight from like a, a sales point of view but also from a community point of view so all of our social media channels were kind of thriving. We focused on, you know, engaging with our customers more through um, content on our social media channels, through video on our YouTube channel, um, and also through our vlog and our blog, Engine Shed and Signal Box. Um, and we just really tried to connect with our customers and also engage with people who might not necessarily have a big connection with Hornby but you know might have young children who are interested in model railways so for those people we created something called the kid zone which was relatively simple in terms of what we did we just created a zone on our website where we incorporated lots of different activities that kids could get involved with whilst they were potentially at home and not not at school so it was a it was an opportunity for us to engage with um, a new audience, families, children, and we we ended up launching various campaigns that actually were really successful that weren't in the plan originally. So we introduced a class sixty six that sort sort of incorporated Sir Tom Moore um, limited edition model to raise money for the NHS. Simon and I actually had quite a few debates about the loco and how many we were going to produce. Simon kind of (laughs) suggested that we produce, you know, limited run 500 units. I decided that we should probably introduce a lot more. Uh, We went back and forth quite a few times. And as it turned out, we ended up selling three and a half thousand in the space of about 24 hours. Um, We raised £140,000 for the NHS and it was just so successful. And we were so pleased that people had got involved and that we were able to raise that amount of money for the NHS at such a critical time. So although the year was topsy-turvy, upsetting, stressful and and lots of other awful circumstances that we had to deal with. In some ways, we tried to make the most of, of the situation and just build the hobby up and engage with even more people. Can I can I just add something to that? The, the amount of work Montana put into creating the social side of life and it wasn't it wasn't aimed at turning over product or, or, or from a profit base. It was actually to help people get through something that was totally alien to all of us. Yeah. The, the kid zone was without question her idea. Just returning to the Tom Moore thing though. Yes, she was right on that occasion. It, and it, when, it pains him to say that. Whenever... <laughs> We have a discussion about volume or whatever. She always bring in, well, I was right about Tom Moore, you know. So, you yeah. know, it, it, she will dine out on that forever. There were a few other things I can point out as well. <laughs> Simon isn't always right. He likes to think he is, but he's not. <laughs> so what is it, do you think that, uh, that allows Hornby to stand the test of time. You've you've done a hundred years, and it's as strong, if not stronger, than ever. What is the the enduring appeal of I mean, Hornby in specific, but but in general terms, model railways? Well, I um, you know it, that is a really really good question. I think what 
we've done over the years, we've tried to remain relative to what's going on in the big wide world. So, you know, we, we create, we don't just do steam engines, but we will do the latest engine. We did, we produced Eurostar. We've produced the eight, the, the Hitachi Azuma, that sort of thing. So we, we stay relevant, try and stay relevant as well as looking back in history. Why does model railways remain so popular? My personal opinion is that it's got so many facets to it. If you're interested in topography, you know, the, the landscape, etc., you can create your own landscape. If you're interested in logistics, moving goods around, etc., so, you know, you can work on that. If you're interested in electronics, you've got, you've got that aspect. Art, art, creating, creating a scene. You know, that's art. Looking around you, paint, you're painting a picture in a 3D process. And I think that's it. But key to all this, and again, harking back to COVID, lockdowns and all the rest of it, is that you're able, when you're, when you're modelling, and it doesn't matter whether it's a model um, layout or an airfix kit or anything like that, you are focused on that task you are switching off from the trials and the tribulations you know you've got you know all the you know the these people like pete waterman and rod stewart but you also have high-flying financial people you have news readers etc who to switch off to focus to take the pressure away will model will just focus and produce a fence a tree paint and a, a loco whatever that's what they do and you switch off you know and it's like people do jigsaws you know you're focusing on the jigsaws you're not worrying about the problems you've had in the office and i know it works and we had the mental health day uh, this weekend something which montana was heavily involved with we've had such feedback from people and one i read this morning which was, was if nothing else, this was the main, this was the reason why we did it. This one guy was contemplating suicide and he got hooked into this program and it's made him think differently. And he basically said, thank you very much for saving his life. And that has to be worth it. What does model railways bring you? It brings you a fascination. It brings you a hobby that you can you know you can hone your skills you don't have to be a brilliant model maker you know just sticking two bits of wood together you know is fine it's a start plugging two yeah. bits of track together it's a start and then you can add to it and you can always go back and improve on it you know I've, I've done this myself or you, you 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 build a simple layout and you think you know i could do with a house there or you know it's a road i love some road works and you, right. you know and you start telling yourself a story. It's not just about watching a train go round and round and round. It's building a scene. It's building an environment. You know, you never stop. Is I think it was was it Da Vinci who never actually finished a painting, and I think that's what a model railway is. You you never actually finish it. You may think you finished it, but you go back and you think, 
do you know what? I can do a better job with that. And then all of a sudden you find a way to make just a little bit more space. Correct. <laughs> and that 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 is it, you know. And that's the fun the, and it's the fun planning it as well. You know, I cannot stress enough how great it is. And being involved in something like that, I just I just keep saying, I'm lucky. I just really, really am lucky. So why is Model Ray so popular? It's relevant. You know, you can control your... Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm going off on one now, but you can actually control your layout with your, your iPhone or, or a smartphone or, a, or a, an iPad, something like that. You can do that. And it's not, it's not complicated. It's a free app. You just need a bit of equipment, plug it into your layout, Bob's your uncle. You can control the speed, the braking, the inertia, change points... It's terrific, and it's relevant, you see. You know, how many three-year-olds get hold of a of an iPhone or, or a smartphone and can program it and get onto YouTube and watch their favourite um, nursery rhymes and things like that? Quite so. Well, on the on the subject of programmes, see, I did, this is what we in the trade call a, uh, a segue. Uh, your, your new TV series that started on the Yesterday Channel in the UK... Uh, when was the first episode and, and what's it all about? Yep, so Hornby A Model World aired on Monday the 11th of October on Yesterday Channel um, at 9 o'clock. It's a, as you said, 10-part series um, on every Monday and it goes behind the scenes at Hornby to show viewers what goes into making a locomotive but also what goes into making, you know, skeletric cars, airfix kits, corgi models. Um, it features all of our key brands, goes into detail about the, you know, specifics of engineering these models, doing the designs, bringing them to the market. Um, also incorporates various different external organisations, so certain magazines that we work with, certain um, model railway societies, collectors. Um, it kind of, you know, brings Hornby together as a whole and shows the, the process of bringing these amazing models to the market. So, I mean, this is a presumably a fairly unparalleled look behind the scenes at, at how your business is run. How long did that take to put together? So filming actually started just before we went into lockdown. So the last year and a half has been slightly crazy or crazier than it than it was originally. So yeah, filming started January 2020. Filming carried on throughout the whole of, of the year and wrapped up only a few months ago. So um, we've had a, a camera kind of running around the office behind a lot of us for, you know, about 18 months now. So it's good to finally know that it's on TV and people can see it and hopefully enjoy it and, and, you know, find out what actually goes into making all these models. You know, there's so many intricate details from, you know, scanning a locomotive to recording the sounds that that locomotive makes to ensure that our locomotive is an exact replica and, you know, not only looks the same, but sounds the same. And, um, you know, all the details are exactly perfect and replicate that that full-size engine so and it you know it's not just Hornby either as I said it's the same for Skeletric, Airfix, Corgi and Humbrol. I mean Hornby's a, a British institution that I think many of us have grown up with and you've you've celebrated your first centenary 
So what does the next 100 years hold? Where do you, where do you think you go from here? Oh, I've got some great ideas for our 200th anniversary, but I'll, I'll have to leave that for a couple of years. But where do we go from here? Well, do you know what? I'm going to let Montana ask that because I've done the first 100 years. She can do the next. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's really just keeping up with trends um, and keeping up with what's going on, you know, outside of the business as well as what we're obviously got in our pipeline we work two three almost four years in advance of time so you know we're already working on 2022 23 plans and as Simon mentioned earlier you know we go into a a lot of research and we speak to a lot of customers and we get a lot of feedback before we make any big decisions however you know there are trends that we have to keep a lookout for anniversaries one of our focuses at the moment is encouraging a younger audience to get into the model railway hobby you know a lot of people stereotype Hornby as being for um you know being for males it's a a male orientated hobby but really it isn't it's a family orientated hobby it's it's for children from you know the ages of three all the way up to 103 and, and further so one thing that we've introduced this year is a brand new range of model railway toys called play trains. We haven't had an entry level range of products for a long, long time. And by introducing this this range called play trains, we're hoping to engage with that younger audience, get them hooked on model railways if they aren't already and set them off on that journey. Carry on with play trains for a few years, you know, carry on and into train sets build on that with um you know railroad products that are our kind of like stepping stone into main range and then continue that journey you know a lot of our customers are, are loyal customers that have been with the brand the hobby for you know sometimes their their whole life and we really want to engage with that younger audience and and get them on that journey as well i mean there's always there's the sense of uh someone who grew up with with hornby then having children themselves and wanting to introduce that next generation to the thing that they loved when they were small. Exactly. We go to various model railway shows throughout the years. Um, obviously, the last couple of years, we haven't been um, out and about so much because of COVID. But when we do go to these exhibitions, we see so many families with young children who are walking around with their little plastic steps so that they can stand up against a layout and watch the train running. And they, yeah, they are fascinated by it. And by introducing this new range, we're able to provide them with a product that, that is suitable for their age group. You know, this this new category that we have introduced is more than just a range of toy model railway products. They're characters that we've incorporated into this range that have stories to tell and adventures to go on and we've created a a play trains portal that encompasses this whole new range of toys so um yeah it's also a product that can actually be run on double o gauge track as well which means that children can you know have fun with their mum dad grandparents who have a full size layout so there's lots of interactivity there and yeah our main focus really is just building on that community getting people involved in the hobby and as simon mentioned earlier 
Hornby is so much more than just a locomotive running around a track now. There's so many intricacies that are involved in creating yeah. that journey and that layout. And um, it's fun. It's exciting. It's artistic. It's imaginative and creative. And that's something that we want to continue building on um, for the years to come, as well as obviously factoring in new trends such as new technologies. Again, Simon mentioned earlier that you can actually run your locomotive on your track using your iPhone, your tablet now. And, you know, this is something that we're working on even further. We've got lots of plans in the pipeline. So we'll kind of watch this space, really. It's been a joy to talk to both of you, but we like to finish each podcast off with our quick fire round of questions. So if you're ready, right. here we go. <laughs> Do you have an all-time favourite train? Mine's the Peckett, um, because when I started working at Hornby, that was the key locomotive that was being worked on. So I've got a, a connection with the Peckett. Uh, for me, it's a bit of a cop-out answer. It's always the last loco that I've worked on, because that's the one that has the most excitement for me. And I suppose the one at the moment would be the W1, the Hush Hush. Big green monster. Wonderful. Smashing. So, if you had to pick a, a rail era, would you go with steam, diesel, or modern trains? I think I'd go modern, um, and that's probably more to do with my age. I I love the liveries on all the modern locos. That doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the steam and diesel ones, but yeah, modern modern image, modern day locos I'm quite fascinated by and all the fantastic liveries that are associated with them. Uh, well, it won't surprise you too much. I would probably go with steam because they're, you know, they're living, breathing monsters. You know, you, you don't just like get you. in. just be, <laughs> Yeah, like me. Uh, you don't just get in and turn a key and off it goes. Um, you have to work at it. You have to fire it up. You have to build up the boiler pressure. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's a, it, it, you, t you talk to old time drivers and they love that sort of synergy with the with the with steam, uh, and how you make it work, as it were. So steam for me. Is there one train that either exists now or has existed in the past that you wish you'd seen live? Oh right, um, yeah, I think it would be the coronation, the LNER coronation. Yep. That would have been stunning. It only ran for about two or three years, but it was the epitome of, you know, travel in those days. It was first class, wonderful. Yeah, it's a shame. But, yeah, that would be the one for me. Oh, this is a tricky one. Um, so, obviously, still very relevant now. I'm really fascinated by the Azuma, and I've never been uh, up close and personal with an Azuma, so I think that would be my answer. <laughs> Where is your favourite place to travel by train? I haven't done a lot of travelling by train, but in my previous job, I used to organise travel exhibitions um, based on cruise shows and adventure travel. And I was always fascinated by the train journeys through the Rocky Mountains in Canada. So if I had the opportunity to do that, I would um, yeah, be over the moon. I think for me... Um... It would be the East Coast, travelling up to Scotland. It's it's a lovely journey. You see a lot of the countries, especially when you get to Berwick-on-Tweed, 
and then over the um, over the border into Scotland. The scenery is stunning. I'd love to do that being pulled by steam loco. I've only been pulled by obviously diesel, and I for one have been on an Azuma. Uh, personally, I wouldn't get up close and personal to it because you know I'm not that sort of bloke. But uh, it's not that kind of show. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I'm... but no, but seriously, that that would be that. You know, that is a, my favourite route. And finally, <laughs> what does the future hold for rail travel? Ah, well, the future holds for rail travel. I think it'll get uh, quicker, um, more comfortable more uh, more luxurious as the demand uh, dictates you've got wi-fi now on virtually every train obviously a powerpoint by your um you know by your seat uh, you've got movies on on which you can feed through uh, from your onto your laptop or whatever so that that can only only um get better and i think the investment Linked with green, you know, with green policies uh, in in the railways, will will ensure that it's got to be so attractive that people will want to travel on it. To be honest, absolutely. And I I I am one who would I would rather travel by train rather than drive. So for me, yeah, train every time. With all the the stresses and worries of the world at the moment, I suspect that you know as a, a, a government a society a nation people will prefer or they should prefer to use um you know public travel and trains opposed to commuting in cars and you know polluting the world even more than it is already so you know i suspect based on that that you know train facilities and speed and um you know technologies will improve in the years to come if not sooner I mean, imagine from London you can be in Paris in two or three hours, if that. I mean, it's that's that's train travel. D- driving is a nightmare. So, certainly, if you go on the periphery of uh, of um, Paris. So, yeah, train travel every time. Well, you can't you can't even compare the time of no. of the train from central London to central Paris no. to flying. No, right. Uh, it is the fastest way to do yes, it. Yes, I I could not agree more. And when we've had to do it through business it's always been Eurostar because you just say you're right in the middle of Paris you're not on the outskirts trying to get a taxi or whatever or at least buy a taxi (laughs) even if you compared that to being more local to us so for instance going from Thanet to London you can be there in just over an hour if we were to drive you're gonna end up spending about two and a half if not longer hours in the car um, trying to get through god knows how much traffic hmm Quite so. Well, thank you ever so much, both of you, for coming on today. Uh, Simon, where can our listeners find out a little bit more about Hornby? Uh, well, we have an excellent website, um, www.hornby.com, and um, go to their um, local model shop or whatever. But the site is very, very much now geared to, obviously, the product we do, but also those interested in building a model railway, you know, it's a, it's like a one-stop shop. So ask the question Smashing. and it's there. From there, you can also connect to all of our social media channels. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and we are also now on TikTok as well. 
uh, wherever you search for it, you will find Hornby there. Montana, remind us where we can catch the TV show, please. It's on Yesterday Channel, Monday, 9 o'clock um, for the next nine weeks, or you can catch up on UK TV Play. Smashing. Thanks again, both of you, and uh, I hope you have a great deal of success with the TV show, and I'm excited to see what Hornby have coming next. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening. If you're enjoying this series, please let us know via wearerailfans.com or use the We Are Railfans Facebook page. And while you're there, don't forget to tell me about your favourite railway journeys that you've been on. And you never know, you could be listening to them on a future episode. Join us next week for another episode where I'll be talking to locomotive driver Jim Rooney of New Jersey Transit. So make sure you give We Are Rail fans a follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss it. This has been a Listen production. Thanks for travelling with us today, and if you wouldn't mind, please ensure you have all your belongings with you before you leave the show. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>